Pastor Frankie is in Ecclesiastes, and, and he'll pick that up with you guys next week. Um, but I'm going to kind of take a sidebar and kind of share with you guys something that I've been studying in my personal time with the Lord. I've been really kind of diving into the life of Jacob. And Jacob was one of the patriarchs, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob's story just sort of resonates with me because I see what God can do to change a man from the inside out when I see the life of Jacob. And there are things about me that I need to have changed from the inside out. I don't know about you, but I love Jesus. I read my Bible. I pray. But there are still things in me that I need to see change and that only the blood of Jesus will change them for me. And so Jacob's story has just resonated with me. And so we're going to be in Genesis chapter 32 tonight, if you have your Bible. And I want to talk to you, if you've got notes, you can title your notes, Three Crossings. I want to talk to you about the three crossings that every believer makes in their walk. Every believer makes three crossings. And um, we're going to be in Genesis 32. I'm going to mention the first two, and then I'm really going to kind of camp on the third one because that's really the meat of my message. Are you guys ready? So the first crossing that every believer makes is called the Red Sea. The Red Sea, it's that first crossing, and that is the, the crossing of salvation. I love that it doesn't matter who you are, prince or pauper, everybody starts with Jesus the same way, on a bended knee, confessing him as Savior. We all come to this point where we realize that we cannot live apart from him, and we get to this place where we bow our knee and we say, Lord, save me. And that's how everybody's journey with Jesus starts. So the Red Sea is this first crossing that every believer makes where you come out of Egypt just like the children of Israel did thousands of years ago. And, and you are coming out of Egypt and you're saying, no, I'm not going to live like that anymore. I'm not going to be in the world anymore. I am going forward with Jesus and never turning back. And then there is this crescendo moment and there's Charlton Heston splitting the Red Sea. And you are walking across on dry land, and it is very dramatic and is cinematastic, and that is the salvation experience. Amen? You have a realization, and your soul becomes alive. I was dead, but now I live. And there's this instantaneous transformation that happens where you become a child of the living God. Everyone has that first crossing, the Red Sea. Now, what happens is that some folks receive salvation, but then they get a little lost in the wilderness. You know, God doesn't do something that they expect him to do. God confuses them. Maybe they, they don't think or prioritize prayer and the word of God or fellowshipping with believers. And so those gifts of the spirit, that maturity never comes to them. They kind of walk around in the same circle, mumbling, I should have gone back to Egypt. And some people, that's, do you know anybody like that? Where you know they love Jesus, Jesus is in their heart. Paul said it this way, they have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. So they have this knowledge of who God is, and I believe that he lives in their heart. But because they haven't cultivated those things, because they haven't nurtured those things, those things don't take root and change them, and they end up in this wilderness, confused, and not really walking in everything God has for them. But for other believers, there's a second crossing. And that crossing is the Jordan River. And this represents where you kind of walk on into more of what God has for you. You join a life group. 
Amen. (laughs) You join a life group. You get into the word of God. You are praying. You are seeking his face. You are prioritizing spiritual disciplines like fasting. You are hungry for his presence. You are willing to get up 30 minutes early, an hour early, because you just realize you need to hear the voice of your Savior before anything else in your day. And you walk into this promised land. And you are truly walking in a fullness, in a, in a spirit-filled, living fullness and understanding of who God is. And you see blessing and there is provision and you are practicing these disciplines and you have this, this supernatural awareness that you are a spiritual being having a temporal, physical experience on this earth waiting for Jesus to take you to heaven. That's when you all enter the promised land. And I'm 37 years old and I thought that was it. I got saved, then I got saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Spirit, and I was in the promised land, and that was it. Well, let me tell you where I was at. It was in July of this year, I was on vacation with my family in Mustang Island, Texas, which is known as the Texas Riviera, which is nothing like the French Riviera, I will tell you. (laughs) It's still the Gulf of Mexico, but praise the Lord, it's not Galveston, so it's a step up. But I'm sitting in this beautiful beach chair, watching my kids play in the surf. You can see your feet when you stand in water up to your ankle. It's very clear in the Texas Riviera. And I realized, I was like, Lord, I know I'm saved. Lord, I know I love you. Lord, I have a good marriage. I have a good ministry. Lord, I love my children. I'm in a great place in life. But Lord, why, why is rest eluding me? Why can I not find rest? And I know that there were specific areas of my life that were prayer requests, things that I had taken to the Lord in prayer for for the better part of a year and had not seen movement in them. And I'm like, Lord, why is it that I have this thing? And everybody's got a thing. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. He didn't tell us what it was. He just said, I begged the Lord to take this from me, and he did not. And I think, I'm not going to tell you what my thorn is. If Paul didn't have to, I don't have to. (laughs) All right? He wrote the book I'm quoting, okay? But how many of you have a thorn? There are as many situations as there are people in this room. And we all have this thing, and we are never going to go back to the world. We would never go back to Egypt. We are never going to trade what we have in Christ for what we left. But why is it that we have this thing that you can't surrender it and I can't conquer it? I can't go back and I can't go forward. So that's where I was on a beach on Mustang Island. And I love vacations because they give you a chance to think about the things that you kind of push away throughout the day, right? I don't know about you, but I, I kind of like have this triage approach to, to mental capacity. You know, I basically, my job is to keep my children alive and my husband fed. That is my job 24-7. And I try to squeeze the rest of y'all in there where I can. <laughs> you know? And so that heavy, deep thinking... I don't really get to in that day-to-day, but a vacation's great because you get a chance to unplug. And those are, that's when you kind of contemplate these questions of, Lord, 
I can't surrender this thing, and I can't conquer it, and that is the hitch in my giddy-up. And Lord, I need you to tell me, is there more? Because I've crossed the Red Sea, and I've crossed the Jordan, and where do I go from here? And so tonight, I want to talk to you about the third crossing, and it's called Jabbok, J-A-B-B-O-K. And where is Jabbok? Jabbok is this little tributary, this little stream or river, a brook off of the Jordan River. And it's this place that in Genesis 32, we find Jacob. I've read this story a hundred times. I've studied it in Sunday school. And I never, never even realized that there was this crossing at Jabbok, this third crossing for every believer. So to give you a little bit of background, Jacob has been working for his father-in-law for 20 years. And he has two wives and 11 children. And the Lord has blessed him. The Lord has appeared to him. He has sought the Lord's face. And the Lord has laid his hand on him. And despite all odds, I mean, his brother or his father-in-law, it says he worked for him for 20 years. The dude changed his wages 10 times. Can you imagine working for someone like that? There is nothing that drives me crazier than somebody who moves the goalpost on me. You know what? Let's just shake hands and a deal's a deal, right? You want widgets, I'll get you widgets. Don't tell me you want sprockets halfway through. That's not what the deal was. I'm your widget lady. And so he's sitting here, having worked 20 years for this guy, changes his wages 10 times. I'm going to pay you in spotted sheep. Nope, I'm going to pay you in streaked sheep. Nope, I'm going to pay you in daughters. Oh, my gosh. But it didn't matter how Laban tried to change the equation. God blessed him. God blessed him. And I want to just say something. You know, the economy is very shaky right now. I feel like there's a darkness over the land, and it has nothing to do with politics, okay? I feel like there's just this, this, this uneasiness in our economy. But you know what I hold to is, is in the time of Egypt with the children of Israel, as darkness fell over Egypt and the plagues fell over Egypt, the word tells us in Exodus that there was light in Goshen where the children of Israel lived. And what I am holding on to is, Lord, even as darkness falls in this country, you are separating and differentiating between believers and unbelievers, and there will be light in my household, and there will be provision in my home. Amen? Amen. <laughs> so I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what the government does or the economy. God has a way of making sure that when you are in covenant with him, you are in covenant with him. And there is no better way to go. And Jacob is in covenant with God, and so it doesn't matter how Laban tries to turn the tables, all of a sudden, everything's going his way. Well, the Lord speaks to Jacob and says, hey, I want you to go back to your father's house. And Jacob goes, well, there's this thing. I cheated my brother out of his inheritance and lied to my father. So I really can't stay where I'm at, and I don't know that I can go forward either. But he steps in obedience, and he responds to the word of the Lord. And that's where we pick it up in Genesis chapter 32. And the first thing I want to, we're just going to camp in this chapter. Is that all right? So I'm going to go all around this chapter. So we're going to go old school Bible study tonight. Are you all cool with that? So we're going to start in verse 10. And this is Jacob praying to the Lord. He says, Lord, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercy and loving kindness and all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. 
For only, with only my staff, I passed over this Jordan, and now I have become two companies. I wanted to start there because I want to say that it, even though you have this thorn and this thing, just like Jacob had this thing in his life, he's still humble. He's still hungry for God. You are not at church on a Wednesday night because you don't want more of Jesus Christ. You've got this thing, this thorn in your life, but it doesn't mean that you are not actively seeking the face of the living God and praying and asking him, Lord Jesus, I had only a staff the last time I crossed this river. And for 20 years, you looked after me. And now I am so great that I have two companies to try to get back to my father's house. Everything I have is so big, we can't fit it in one car. That's what he's saying. I had to rent a U-Haul, two U-Hauls to get it home. And he's like, Lord, who am I? And there's this hunger for him. But then the word comes back to him, hey, we found your brother, and he's coming with 400 soldiers. And so then you pick it up in verse uh, 19. And Jacob realizes he's got this crisis. And this is where we see the thing come out, because a crisis will reveal your character. I am very strong as long as there are no Girl Scout cookies in my house. But when my daughter is short 20 boxes on her quota, and I buy 20 boxes of Samoas, excuse me, they're called Caramel Delights now, I promise you, I, I get a little weak in the knees because they put cocaine in those things. They're addictive. <laughs> and a crisis reveals your character. Maybe your crisis, maybe your, your weakness is not Girl Scout cookies. You know what it is. The Holy Spirit's bringing it to your remembrance right now. And you're strong, and you're strong as long until things get a little bit tense. And Jacob is seeking God. He's obedient. He's going to follow the word of the Lord all the way back to his father's house. But now 400 soldiers are after him. So he can't go back to the father-in-law, and he is facing an angry brother and 400 soldiers in front of him. So that's the crisis is going to reveal his character and his thing. And so in verse 19, he says, He commanded the second and the third and all that followed in droves, saying, This is what you are to say to Esau when you meet him. He's coming up with a strategy. He's like, Oh, my brother is ticked and I got 400 soldiers coming for me. I got to think my way out of this thing. He says, say to your servant, say, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him. I'm reading out of the Amplified Bible. If your Bible says appease, circle appease. I will appease him with the present that goes before me. And afterward, I will see his face and perhaps he will accept me. God in his infinite wisdom puts this, this pressure point, this, this crisis in Jacob's life because he knows that this, this bent that Jacob has to fix things, to manipulate things, to kind of make things turn out for his own good by his own hand, he's like, you know what, Jacob? I've seen the way you've operated for 20 years, even more than that. And today, tonight, we fix this thing tonight. We fix this thing tonight. And so Jacob sends his whole family across the Jabbok River. And you pick it up in verse 22. He says, he got up that same night and took his wives and his two servants and his 11 children and waited over the ford of Jabbok. 
And then he took them and sent them across the brook. And he also sent across whatever he had. So Jacob was left alone. God says, you know what? This is between you and me, Jacob. I've watched you operate this way long enough. But where I am taking you, you cannot walk the way you have always walked. And tonight, we get this straight. Tonight, we figure this out. There are some fights that are just between you and God. There are some fights that are between you and your maker. And no amount of books, DVDs, or conferences are going to help you out. (laughs) It is where you get on the bank of that Jabbok River, and God shows up. And he says, the way you've been living is not the way you're going to keep living. We're going to settle this tonight. And that's where Jacob's at. So we keep reading verse 24. It says that a man came up and wrestled with him until daybreak. I love that it says a man came up and wrestled with him. I love it when Jesus shows up in the Old Testament, don't you? Because he was from the beginning and he will be until the end. The Trinity has always existed. Jesus did not show up at Bethlehem. That was when he took a physical body and walked on the earth, but he has always been and always will be. And in the Old Testament, I love this, this, this scene where there's a scene where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the fiery furnace. You've heard that story. And the king says, didn't I throw three men in the fire? But who is this fourth man? And he is dressed like the sons of gods. That was Jesus. <laughs> And we're sitting here, Joshua is about to take the promised land, and he's praying, and he's asking God to help him, and he's facing these huge armies, and he sees this man suited up for battle. And Joshua's first question was a good one. Are you on my side or the other team's side? (laughs) That would have been my question. What is it going to take to get you on team celebration today? That's how I'd approach that dude. And, And the man looks at Joshua, and he says, neither, but as the captain of the Lord of hosts have I come. Jesus. And then Jacob is at the bank of the Jabbok River and a man shows up. And I believe I want to submit to you that it was Jesus. Because when you get to the place where you can't go back and you can't go forward, that is where Jesus shows up. And he is ready. Because he's like, you know what? I bled and I died for this. You don't have to live a slave to this anymore. I have paid the price for this. We can change this tonight. We can change this tonight. And it says that a man came and wrestled with him until daybreak. Verse 25 says, when the man saw that he had not prevailed against Jacob, he touched the hip joint and Jacob's hip was dislocated as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go. This is God telling Jacob, let me go, for day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you declare a blessing on me. (sighs) I want to just camp there for a minute, all right? Have you ever seen two guys wrestle? Maybe in Louisiana, you call it wrestling, all right? Behind me is the London Olympics. This is the gold medal round. This is the United States in blue versus Iran in red. London 2012, the guy who wins this match goes home with the gold. Wrestling is intensely physical. There is no hugging, oh, tap, tap, I'm in, I'm out. It is exhausting. 
You are constantly evaluating your opponent, looking for your edge. Can you pin him here? Does he have a weakness there? You are physically using every muscle in your body to get your opponent to yield. And for a solid night, the man and Jacob are wrestling like this. One trying to pin the other, and Jacob will not let go. There are some things in our lives where it's not going to take the kind of prayer where we say, thank you, Jesus, for this food, amen. It's going to take a wrestling where we get so physical and so invested in it where it's like, Lord, I am not letting go until something changes. And if it's me, it's me. And if it's everything around me, it's everything around me. But I am putting every muscle, everything I have in this thing until something changes. And that's where Jacob and the man are wrestling. And the man says, let loose of me, let loose of me. And I'm like, why wrestle with him? Like God could touch Jacob with a pinky and Jacob could have crumbled. But he gave him the opportunity to wrestle him. And I want to submit to you that the reason God wrestles with you, the reason why he won't let you go, the reason why you tangle and there's this exhilaration of exhaustion (laughs) for this thing that you can't surrender and you can't give up, It's because it is the nature of our God to touch and not crush. It is the nature of our God to touch that place in your life and not crush that place in your life. He's like, you know what? I'm a healer. If you will give this thing to me, I can touch this area of your life and you will never walk the same again, Jacob. But Jacob says, bless me, bless me, bless me. Because that's all Jacob knows. And i got to be real honest with you guys. There are times where a crisis comes into my life and my character starts to get revealed. And the first thing I ask for is a blessing. Oh, Lord Jesus, I need a new job. Oh, Lord Jesus, you know, Father God, I need, I need increase in this area of my life. Oh, Lord. And those are things that we should pray for, church. But they aren't always the answer to the crisis at hand. Jacob is asking for blessing, and God is like, no, what I want to do is touch you. What I want to do is change the way you walk from here on out. I have waited a long time, your whole life, to get you to this bank of this jabot, and I promise you, you're not getting up from this place the same way you came in. So I'm not going to bless you the way you think I'm going to bless you. I'm going to change your life, Jacob. And so he has Jacob. He says, what is your name? You've asked me to bless you. And in verse 27, he says, what is your name? And I love the way the Amplified puts it. It says, in shock of realization. Now Jacob realizes who he's wrestled with. There's something about the way God calls your name that you know it's God. You know, I'm the oldest of four girls. My mother has kind of this cadence to the way she used to call us when we were kids. It didn't matter where I was or what I was doing. You just know your mama's voice, right? Sarah Elizabeth! I was like, yes, ma'am, I'm there. Let me just put this bat back. I wasn't touching anybody's windows, mama. You know what I mean? There's something about when you hear God call your name. What is your name? And Jacob has this realization of who he's been wrestling with. And he whispers, he goes, 
Jacob. Supplanter, manipulator, deceiver. You ask me for my name, it's my name. It's how I've always lived. I came out of the womb this way. This is how I work. This is my thing. This is my thorn. And it's like the deepest part of Jacob is finally getting confessed. And God can take that. And he says, no. Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, contender with God. For you have contended and have power with God and with men and have prevailed. You know, we have to all come to this place of confession because confession is the only way that God can change the thing we want changed. I was sitting in a beach chair in Mustang Island and the Lord brings me to a place where I realize the things I want to see changed can only be changed if I would confess them and bring them under the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It's the first verse everybody should learn when they come to know the Lord. Amen? Forgiveness is instantaneous. But then you go to James 5.16 and he says, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now this is the part of the verse we always quote. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Wait a second. I have to confess my sin one to another? No, 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 no. I'll just keep my thing. Jacob was content to live with his thing indefinitely until he gets to the mat with God. And it is his maker who says, tell me your thing, Jacob. And Jacob confesses it. And then the Lord says, now I can change it. <laughs> I can forgive you like that. But if you want healing, you want healing, we got to confess this thing and walk it out together, Jacob. we got to confess this thing and walk it out because the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. When I pray with the Lord, most mornings I'm up you know, an hour before my kids get up. Because once my kids get up, the day is over, y'all. You know what I mean? It is a rush to the Pop-Tarts and the Fruit Loops as soon as their eyes open. And so I'm up, and the first thing I do is I thank the Lord for giving me a desire to pray. Because I've been where I didn't have that desire. And desiring it is 50% of the equation. So if you're at a place tonight where you don't want to talk to God, pray about that. Start there. And say, Lord, give me a desire to want to pray. And he will. And then I say, now, Lord, I need to confess my sin to you. Because the confession makes me righteous. And the effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I am not missing an hour of sleep to hear myself talk. The needle has to move in the areas that I am bringing to the throne of God. I have got to know that these prayers are building monuments in heaven that angels are tripping over. 
so that you sit in your glory and say, who is this woman in the Woodlands, Texas, who needs me to do X, Y, and Z? So we confess our sins one to another, and all of a sudden, the needle moves. God is able to work in our lives. So the third crossing is Jabbok. It is not nearly as flashy and as fabulous as the Red Sea. There are no hordes witnessing it. There are no soldiers getting swallowed up when the sea closes behind them. The Jordan River was just as spectacular. You know, the, the, angel, the priests are walking forward with the Ark of the Covenant, and the, the river is dammed up upstream, way ahead of them. And then people are just like, Jabbok isn't like that. Jabbok is usually in the middle of the night, in a dark place. You're usually alone. You usually have nowhere to go back to, and the way ahead looks pretty tough. That's when you know you're at Jabbok. But it's just as necessary. It's not nearly as flashy. It's not nearly as exciting. But it is just as necessary. Because if you want to enter into the rest of the Lord, if you get to that place where you realize, you know what, there has to be more. Why is there things still hounding me? You've got to have your jabbok. Hebrews 3 and 4 are, are two of the hardest chapters in the entire Bible to understand. And I'm still trying to like absorb it. But Paul writes, he says that the Israelites could not enter into the Lord's rest because they could not trust him fully. I want to submit to you that that thing, that thorn, that, that one thing you can't surrender and you can't conquer will be the one thing that keeps you from knowing the rest of the Lord. The rest he intended for you. The, the weight that he, that he meant to come off your shoulders. So when you get to Jabbok, I have three points that I'm going to close with so that you know, oh yeah, this is really Jabbok. <laughs> this is where I'm at. So that we can walk through that place together. I'll, I'll also say this, that it says that, you know, the Red Sea that the Israelites walked through on dry ground. The Jordan River they walked through on dry ground. The Jabbok River, it says that Jacob waded through it. Jacob waded through it. Not only did he physically wrestle with God, but he got wet too. And there will be times where we are wrestling with God and it's, I'm wet from the sweat. I'm wet from the perspiration. I'm wet from the, the physical wading through this river in this place. It's a different experience. But I want to tell you, we're going to talk about in a minute how Jacob was changed and it's worth it. It's worth it, friend, to walk through that jabbok. So the Lord will lead you to Jabbok and he'll meet you there. And these are the three signs that you're in Jabbok. The first one is confrontation. John 16, 8 and 9 read that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict and convince the world and bring demonstration to it about sin and righteousness and about judgment. And read this part, and about sin because they do not believe in me. Here's the deal with confrontation. All, all that sin comes down to is this one thing, not trusting Jesus. What does the Holy Spirit convict you of? 
He does not condemn you. That's the accuser's job. If you feel accused, that's Satan in your ear. That's hell in your ear beating you up. Oh, you're going to make the same mistake. You always go to Girl Scout cookies, Sarah. (laughs) That's hell in my ear. No, the Holy Spirit says, Sarah, trust me with that. You don't need a Girl Scout cookie. I've got this. You don't have to use your relationships to manipulate this situation. Trust me. I'll work all things together for your good. Sarah, don't lie. Don't lie. Trust me. Trust me to be your advocate. Sarah, don't defend yourself. Let me defend you. In your anger, do not sin. Believe me, Sarah. Believe me. The Holy Spirit's job convicts us of one thing, not trusting Jesus. And that's the root of all sin. That's the root of all sin. Why did Eve take the apple? Because she didn't believe God was telling her the truth. She didn't believe he had her best interest at heart. The enemy said, did he really say? Oh, he's just afraid you'll be like him and no good and evil. And she goes, well, maybe maybe God has a motive. Maybe there's an angle to why he doesn't want me to eat this fruit. All sin originates from this place where we don't trust God. And there's just something I always have to settle in my spirit, and that is that God is good and there is nothing good for me outside of his will for my life. Once I've established that, it's like a perfect filter. God is good and there is nothing good for me outside of his will for my life. So confrontation comes first. And I will tell you, confrontation is the opposite of appeasement. Jacob's go-to was appeasement. I will win him over. I will win Esau over with these gifts. And that's when God showed up and said, we're not going to appease this thing anymore. We're going to change this thing. And confrontation is the opposite of appeasement. The second thing God does after confrontation is confession. Psalm 51.4 says, against you, O Lord, against you alone, O Lord, have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. Against you alone, O Lord, have I sinned. I love this verse because it reminds me that all sin is vertical. Against you alone, O Lord, have I sinned. The consequences are horizontal. But the sin is always vertical. That's why Jesus had to die for our sin. Because it was he who I had offended. It was he who I had sinned against. And he was the only atonement for that sin. All sin is vertical. But the consequences are horizontal. In broken relationships. In hearts that are not not whole. In discoveries that we make that we should have never known. So there's always confrontation. There's confession. And this is my last one. If you guys want to come up and play contend. After you have the confrontation and the confession, you can be a contender. Genesis uh, 35.10, there's another crisis that comes up. You know, Jacob has this amazing encounter with God, and then you flash another chapter forward, and his family's in trouble again. And this whole town and this whole region that he's chosen to live in, they are like after him like white on rice. And I won't get into the details of what happened, but it was this huge crisis that bubbled up. And you know what I said, crisis reveals character. And God can see Jacob trying to figure out his next move. And God speaks to Jacob and reminds him, Jacob, I have changed your name. Your name is not Jacob. Your name is Israel. You have contended with God and with man, and you have prevailed. 
Do not cut and run like you always have. I have changed the way that you acknowledge me and changed the way that you walk through life. Here's the deal, friends. Even after Jabbok, we're going to get ourselves in hot messes. Hot messes are still going to find their way into our lives because in this world, we will have trouble. You know? But this is the difference. You will overcome the temptation to go to your thorn for your answer. And the Holy Spirit's job is to teach us all things and to bring all things to our remembrance. And when Jacob gets to this place where he's like, ooh, we got to pack our bags, guys. It's getting hot in here. The Lord speaks to him and says, meet me in Bethel where you made an altar to me. And I'm going to remind you of who you are and what I've done for you. Because you don't have to go back to cutting and running, Jacob. It's okay to talk about Jacob's thing because he's been dead long enough, right? We can talk about Jacob's thorn. Jacob, you don't have to live like that anymore. I'm going to remind you. You've contended with God and with men, and you have prevailed. And I want to encourage you, church, that when you get to Jabbok, you get up with a little bit of a limp, but you get up as a contender. And you get up as someone who has prevailed. Well, have I conquered this? Yes. Well, you don't even know what it is yet. It didn't even matter. The Holy Spirit will come to you and remind you, you have prevailed. It doesn't matter what comes. Jacob's wife, he's about to lose a wife in childbirth. He's about to lose a son to slavery. He's about to have famine in the land. Every single situation, his name was Israel. You have prevailed. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to be able to to tell you, oh, this is going to come next and this is going to come next. Frankly, it doesn't really matter what's coming next, does it? What matters is that you have wrestled with God. You have crossed Jabbok, and you have prevailed. That is your promise, church.